0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. We're thrilled to have somebody at this caliber uh, speaking to you. uh, And I won't take up any more of their time. Can you welcome... Uh, Jason and Fred Soker. Come on, welcome them up. Morning. Thank you. I'm just going to introduce Jason. He's going to speak first this morning. And I just want to let you know who he is. And because, uh, you know, some of you know me because I've written some books. But Jacob, you know, Rob was just talking about fathers and sons. And, and Jacob talked about Reuben as being the beginning of his strength. It's his firstborn. And uh, probably got a little emotional. This is the beginning of my strength. It's my firstborn son. And this is a son that came all the way from puberty to his wedding altar, he's never used a girl in dishonor, never used her body for his own pleasure, okay? He's, he, never, he never practiced dating just to kind of get some skills so he'd be ready for his wedding night, all right? He never got hooked on masturbation and those sorts of things like so many of us do. So when I turn this microphone over to him, I just want you to know... This is a true man of God. You may not know him, but he's a greater man than I ever was, even remotely. And uh, I just want to honor him this morning because he's everything that a father could ever want in a son. And so he's going to share some things, some strategies that he used to stay pure through those years, those strategies he's continuing to use now as a married man. And I just want you to welcome my son.
1: guys. Well, like my dad said, uh, my name's Jason. Um, I'm 28 years old. Uh, I'm married, have been married for about five years. Um, I have two daughters. One's two and a half, and the other is 10 months old, so I think I'm probably in kind of the same boat a lot of you are out there right now in this part of life. Uh, I... uh, I don't do speaking for a living. Um, I actually live here in the Twin Cities and and work a regular job. I'm a computer engineer and just work on computers all day. Um, But when my dad asked if I would like to come speak at this event, I was really excited to get to come with him uh, because the Lord has done a lot of stuff in my life. And I just want to... It's not really a story about me. It's about him. And I just want to tell you some of the things uh, that he's shown me, how he's kind of... uh, led my my life, especially my dating relationship with my wife, Rose, and uh, just show that he's faithful to his promises, too, and that obedience really does lead to life, and it leads to the best kind of life. Uh, So I'm going to start. I I know a lot of you guys out there are married um, and probably aren't necessarily in the dating uh, age group, but I still want to talk about that because I think that there's a lot of uh, lessons that start when you're dating that can be carried forward uh, as you as you get older and as you get married and have kids. Uh, I'm going to start a, in a little bit of an unusual way. I'm going to start at kind of the end of my dating story and then go back to the beginning. And the reason I'd start at the end is because I think, you know, this is a, this is a battle and it is a struggle. And probably the first question a lot of guys have when they look at this is, man, is this worth it? I'm going to have to give stuff up. There's, there are things that are going to be hard. I might, I might be uncool. I might lose some social credibility. Is it worth it? And I think it helps to look at your end goal first to kind of give you the courage and the hope to really press forward. So I'm going to start just by by talking a little bit about my wedding day. My wedding day, of course, ended my dating days, and it was really, obviously, yes. Uh, Didn't know it was going to come out quite like that, but that's, yes. Um, Yes. So it was was quite... uh, quite a day for me. When I stood up in front of the altar, and I kissed my wife that time in front of about 375 people, that was the first kiss that she and I had ever shared. And, you know, there was a lot of people in the crowd that were excited for us, that were cheering, but that wasn't really the best part of the day. Um, the be- I'm just. I- I'm just stepping all over myself here. Uh, but uh, no, what, what I was gonna, what I meant by that was, uh, I think, I think the best, uh, probably the best part, uh, and that was good too. But the best part was, uh, she, uh, she told me later that she, um, it, just how much she respected me for the way that I had led her dating, and uh, she had been really hurt by a previous relationship and a previous guy she'd gone out with, who pushed her boundaries, um, they went too far, and it really left her broken and hurting, and to be treated with respect and to not be taken advantage of was really a dream come true for her, and it laid, it laid a strong foundation for our later marriage because there are times when I'm sent off on business trips, and she can trust me when I go on those trips because when it counted, I, I proved myself trustworthy to her at the beginning. Um but the best part of all I think was that uh I know that I pleased God by obeying him and that someday when I stand before him I will actually have this something that I can lay at his feet and say Lord I I followed you in this season and that's probably the the greatest feeling of all. So it is worth it to maintain purity throughout your dating relationship. But how do you get to that to that end game from the beginning? It starts with a decision, but it's more than a decision. You know, when This is a battle, and when you go to battle, you don't just decide you're going to win. That's not going to get you all the way there. You've got to have a strategy. And the strategy starts by very carefully uh, laying the foundation and being faithful in the small things along the way. You know, It starts at the beginning um, by really thinking about what's right, what's wrong, and setting some boundaries up, especially in dating, because... Uh, the women are really wondering what those boundaries are going to be in the relationship, and they really want to know what they are. Um, So an example from my life is when I was dating Rose. We went out, and we had our first date, which was great, and I asked her out on a second date. And uh, on the second date, uh, I could tell that things were going really well and that we were probably going to continue dating. So I actually, towards the end of the night, I actually talked to her, and I said, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit, about what my standards are I'm trying to stay pure before the Lord I, I've got some standards that I need to adhere to and that if we're going to date um, you know I'm not I'm not looking to practice on you I really like you and I want to keep dating you but if, if you aren't going to be able to agree to these standards I don't think it's probably a good idea to proceed because we just won't be compatible um, and so I, I laid out some of my standards the, the first one I talked to her about were dances which really caught her off guard I said you know Growing up, I never, I never went to the school dances on purpose because I had friends who did go and they came back and they told me what went on there, Th- things like lap dances and all kinds of stuff in the back hallways and grinding and girls wearing little to nothing it seemed like. So I didn't go and I didn't want my daughters to go as I raised them or my s- future sons if I have any. And so I asked if she would be okay supporting that standard. And it caught her a little off guard, but she, did s- she said yes. Um... And, she's under, and she, she could see and understand, once I explained it to her, why that's important. Um, the next standard I brought up was movies. I said, you know, there's, there's a lot of movies out there that have, you know, five-star ratings. They're considered the best film of the year. But they're full of, of sex and nudity. I said, I can't watch those, and we can't have those in our home. And, and that's something that I... I really want to point out, especially as something that can be, I think, can be carried forward into marriage, you know, a lot of us, we, we talk about this as being a battle. If you're standing in a battle and some guy's carrying some rusty old ugly gun and pointing it at you, you know, you're going you're gonna to say, that's not good. You're going to run away from that. You're going you're, you're gonna to look at that and you're going to try to get out of the way. Maybe you get shot anyway, but you're going to try to at least get away and you'll acknowledge that's not a good thing. That's kind of how it is, I think, with most pornography, you know, stuff like Playboy and stuff. We look at that almost like an ugly rifle. We know that's dangerous and we're trying to get away from it. But sometimes I think with movies, you know, those, they're called culture. They're called art. You know, people portray those as, as something that's different. It's, it's almost like we went into battle, and instead of a rusty old rifle pointing at us, this guy has an ornate medieval sword, and we go up to that, and we go, oh, man, look at that thing. That, that is like the perfect classic example of medieval architecture. Oh, there's some jewels in the hilt. Man, this thing is cool. Show me how that works. He says, yeah, I'll show you. And, you know, it's... it's I really want to challenge the men out here, you know, watching sex on a site that ends with .xxx, and watching it in a movie, it does the same things to the eyes, and it does the same thing to your heart and to your spirit. It's just wrapped in a prettier package. And... you know my wife said you know i 've watched those before i 've never really thought about that, but i can I can see that i 'll agree with that too and um, to this to this day, we still don 't watch those kinds of movies or TV shows um, and another Another principle too, and this didn 't happen this same night, but this was probably about a week later uh, we were we were deciding whether we were going to hold hands, and it seemed like a good opportunity to talk about you know how far would we go in marriage, would we kiss, would we not kiss um, and we both talked about it, and we both ended up agreeing not to kiss, and for we kind of approached it from different reasons. For my wife, it was she had already had this other relationship with this other guy and was hurting from that, and she, she didn't want to give her heart away again. She didn't want... Because for a woman, I, and I don't fully understand this. I mean, it's just not necessarily the way I think, but to her, you know, it was such a deep... You know, the way she had given herself away to that other guy, it was such a deep pain that she didn't want to to even kiss me until she knew for a fact I was her husband and was not going anywhere. Um, and for me, I, I thought about it on different lines. I don't necessarily think it's a sin to, to kiss before uh, marriage, and I'm not here to tell you that it is. Um, and I don't, I don't ever tell people that. But I, I had kind of two reasons where I chose not to anyway, besides the fact that I was honoring her. Um, I thought, I, I think Josh Harris wrote this in one of his books, and I've always remembered it. He said, you can use your lips for two things, kissing or communicating. If you're spending all your time kissing, you aren't getting to know them, and you don't really know who you're marrying necessarily. You, don't, you haven't discussed the big things. You don't know if this is a good match. So for that reason, I didn't want to kiss. I wanted us to communicate more. Um, and then the other reason is kind of a principle that I just call kind of setting your boundaries high. I figured, you know, if you're, if you're hiking around the Grand Canyon, is it really the smartest thing to hike at the very, very edge of the cliff Or would it be maybe a little bit safer to step back about 10 feet and maybe enjoy the beauty but not quite be standing right on the edge like that? That's kind of the way I looked at kissing was, you know, I I don't go into that thinking this is a standard I can just drop at some point. But if somehow it happened, I still wouldn't have crossed that line into sin in the same way that I would have if I was living right on the edge and then my wife and I had premarital sex. That's a totally different matter. So I set them high to keep myself well away from the edge and not, not be walking along the edge of a cliff. And the last thing I want to mention about standards is you might have to reevaluate as you go along with communication and and honesty. You know, my wife and I were, we've got Skywalks in Des Moines, which is where my wife and I were from. Believe it or not, it is a big enough city for Skywalks. And uh, we were walking through the Skywalks one day, just having fun. And uh, she was holding onto my arm and, you know, just leaning against against me, like right here, just next to me, just having a great time. And uh, her breast kept rubbing against my arm and it started to get my engines going. And she didn't think anything of it. She wasn't trying to do anything. But I just said, you know, Rose, I need to just tell you something. I think we need to just have a little bit more distance here because this is, this is going to be a struggle for me. Let's just hold hands. <laughs> and you know what? Most good Christian women, I think they're going to be happy that you told them that because they aren't out there to make you struggle, but they don't always know. Because <clears throat> the same way I don't understand her, you know, 100%, she doesn't understand me 100%. And she doesn't understand how a guy's mind works. So you're going to have to teach her and help her to see that as you go along. Um, So kind of to touch on some of the last points here, is this all work and no fun? I mean, is all it is sitting around talking about boundaries and and just waiting out the days to get married? The answer is absolutely not. We had a ton of fun dating. This was how we started the dating. We set the foundations early, but we had a great time. You know, one of the standards, one other standard that we had um, that I think also got added a little later because I hadn't thought about this at all. Um, but my parents had mentioned uh, some friends of theirs who had had this standard, which was you don't want to be alone in a house or in a non-private place, or, you know, in a private place together while you're dating or engaged. That's not a good idea. And also from the perspective of even if you don't do anything, you know, I've had some guys who I deeply respect point out that, well, if some of your Christian friends or even some non-believers see you walking into a dark house together alone... That, may, that doesn't look good. We're not supposed to have a hint of sexual immorality in our life, and, and I don't want to cause somebody else to stumble, even if I don't do anything. Uh, so, one of our boundaries then was, we're not going to be alone together in a house. Well, one, one night, we were having a date, and we really wanted to go watch uh, a movie, clean movie we had on uh, VHS, and we were, up to that point, usually when we wanted to do that, we would just go to one of our parents' houses. They both live in Des Moines. Um, but her parents were out of town, so were my parents. So... We were thinking about that, and we were like, well, like, sounds like we can't really do that. But then we thought about it, and we were like, no, we can, st-. I was like, we can still have fun, keep our standards high if we're just creative about it. So what we did is we actually went back to my house, opened the garage, lit up all the lights in the garage. The garage faces the street. It's a two-car garage. My dad had left, uh, my dad had taken the chairs out of his, out of his van um, because he, uh, his other job that he does is he, uh, he actually sells uh, rings and corporate awards to corporations. And so he, uh, he had big boxes in his van took the seats out. So we just set the seats up, bright lights facing the road. There was a dinner, one of those little dinner table things out there. I just, uh, I went inside alone by myself, got the TV, brought it out. My wife stayed in the garage all lit up and brought the TV out with the video. We hooked it up right there and we just sat there and watched our movie and waved at all the neighbors as they walked back and forth on their walks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had a great night. I mean, that was one of our most fun memories. We enjoyed the movie. We didn't, and, and, you know, we weren't, we weren't in a non-public place. We were right there for everybody to see. And uh, so this stuff is fun, and God made it that way. He, he designed it to be fun. Even, even when we obey, it's still supposed to be fun, and it will end up being very, very fun and uh, fulfilling, you know, at the end of the road, which brought us full circle back to the altar. So, of course, it doesn't end with uh, the wedding day, um, you still have to stay pure as you go forward. Um, you you got to look for strategies to stay pure. So when it comes to movies, especially, I, I think you know there's there's tools like I think Focus on the Family has a site called Plugged In. There's also ScreenIt.com. You can find out what's in a movie before you actually go watch it. Um, another principle was First Corinthians six eighteen: flee from sexual immorality. Um, you know, when my wife and I went on our honeymoon, we went to a restaurant, and they had a a picture of a of a naked woman hanging over the bar. You know, we never went back to that place, and uh, there was another place in Ohio that was the same. We never went back, even though the food was outstanding. You know, it, because it wasn't it it, it wasn't a, an appropriate atmosphere. So ultimately, uh, you can't be pure before marriage and then stop when marriage happens. You got to go the whole way, and uh, to let to talk a little bit more about that, I'm just going to turn it over to my dad.
0: that's my boy you know when jason was born i couldn't imagine my great fortune that my first child was a boy I bought him a football right away and all that jazz and um, i remember taking him out as a boy i don't know three four five years old and he would we would go outside we'd maybe throw the ball three times and he'd say dad it's hot out here can we go in you know, he, he never got into sports like I was when I was young, and, uh, but the Lord taught me to fall in love with the things he's gifted at, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I could care less about sports, but that man, he's amazing, okay? He talked about strategies, okay? He, he, a lot of those strategies he came up with on his own. I mean, we talked about purity and all those things, but, you know, he loves God on his own, and I made sure that he did, so that he had the opportunity to be able to have that kind of relationship. But I want to talk to this thing this morning about how do you get a son like this, all right? Now, I understand that some of you are older, and, you know, your sons are older, and now you've got grandsons, okay? I want you to listen carefully, because you can have a huge impact, and I want to talk this morning about the generational aspects of sexual purity and what can pay off for you down the line. My son talked about payoffs. Okay? His wife could say to him on their wedding day, thank you, thank you for honoring me. How many of us got to say that? Okay, And these are the kinds of things I'm talking about. What are you going to be able to see Down the line, it's very important for you to keep that in mind. Obedience is leadership. I know you're talking a lot about leadership this weekend. Obedience is everything when it comes to leading your family and to finding a son like this coming behind you. I want to go back for a moment and talk about how obedience fits into this whole process. You heard his story at the age of 23. He stood at his wedding altar, and he's sharing his very first kiss. Let's go back a little bit further to my age, 23. Who was I when I was age 23? I had four girlfriends. I was sleeping regularly with three of them, and I was engaged to be married to two of them. That's who I was. Look what God did in a single generation, one thing. But the other thing is I want you to understand that there is absolute hope as we move into obedience. God can do anything. Later that year, okay, I'm going to talk about, you know, I'm 23. Later that year, I got saved. Okay. About a year, year and a half later, I got married. Okay. And then about two years after that, I had Jason. So now I'm age 27, and they lay Jason into my arms. I'm standing in the delivery room. And the weight of the world settled on my shoulders. For the first time, I mean, I, Brenda's pregnant nine months, and I still hadn't thought about this until they laid him into my arms. I am responsible for a human soul and where he's going to end up. Okay? And I realized a devastating weight that day. And I knew I had a responsibility. I had to do something. Now, I had already done something in my life. I had already cleared the pornography out of my life. I married a Christian woman who had four generations of Christians. She came out of there, okay? And she was pure as snow. And I knew when I married her that I could not keep looking at pornography, So I stopped looking. I can say something that most men can't say. From my wedding day on, I've never purchased pornography, nor have I seen pornography on my computer. Okay, That's a huge thing. The weird thing was, is the reason why I stopped the pornography was not because of my concern about sexual sin. I was still confused about some of that at the time. The reason why I quit was I knew from a stewardship issue I can't use my wife's money to buy pornography. That lacks integrity. Right? Okay? And she was making more than I was at the time. So, you know, I knew I couldn't do that. Now, that's a form of integrity. And it's a good thing, whatever reason you get rid of it. But the thing is, I really didn't quite understand the purity thing. But I began to understand, once I got married, what was going on. And I realized that God's standard for purity is way higher than just no porn in your life. Okay? It's Ephesians 5.3. You are not to have even a hint of sexual immorality in your life. Not even a hint. The first time I heard that, it's like, well, what in the world's a hint? I hope it's a lot bigger than it sounds, you know. (laughs) But I came to find out it wasn't any bigger than how it sounded, and that uh, what God meant there is that we are not to get any sexual gratification from anything or anybody except our wife. And, of course, that puts a single guy in a tight spot. But the truth is the truth. We still have to live up to that standard. And I want to share with you how I was doing against that standard in those first couple of years of marriage. Okay? And I want you to go through this list of red flags with me so that you can, we can all just start at the same place today. Okay? I just want to see how you're doing against this standard. So let me just walk through a little list. Do you tell off-color jokes? You know, use jokes with double meanings, double sexual meanings and coarse jesting. Do you surf the channels hoping to catch a glimpse of something sexy as you're flipping through so you can stop for a moment? Is there a woman at your office that when she calls in sick and she's not at work that day, you feel down? You have an emotional connection to her so that when she's not there, work isn't quite as fun that day. Did you hire your last administrative assistant out of a pool of, say, ten applicants, and you just happened to hire the one with the biggest breast? And you use an argument like, well, it's public relations. We need to have her put on the best front for our company. Foolish. Do you look at these sorts of things? Lingerie ads in the department store ad inserts on Sunday mornings. That was my biggest one. I used to masturbate every Sunday, lusting over ad inserts before I went to church. That's a sad admission I have to make, and it's really hard to admit that in front of my son. All right? But it's true. Maybe you watch women's ice skating or women's beach volleyball competition. You don't care who wins at all, but you love what they don't wear. Okay? Are you watching other people have sex? on a regular basis, you know, in movies and on television. There's no difference in the body's effects than going to your neighbor's house and peeking right through their window into their master bedroom. Are you gazing at joggers with nylon shorts? Are you looking at some cute girl going by and saying, hmm, nice rear? You don't say anything out loud, but you're thinking it. Are you flirting in ways that you know are wrong? Maybe no one else can look at it from the outside and tell, but you know. You're fantasizing with the person you're communicating with in the chat rooms. You're communicating with the person of the opposite sex in the chat room, and you know you're past the line. Are you daydreaming about other women in ways that are sexual? And are you night dreaming on a regular basis, hot dreams about other women, even when you're married? Maybe you're thinking about old girlfriends sexually. I used to during the first two years of marriage. Our marriage was going poorly at the time. I was a poor leader. I was destroying our marriage. And because of all the fights, I would think about old girlfriends and I would say, huh, you know, it wouldn't be like this if I had married her. Okay, Evil. God called me out on it, but that's wrong. How about this? Maybe you're with your wife, even driving down the road with your arm around her, but you're thinking about that girl at work with questions coming to your mind in your silence. I wonder if she ever thinks about me when she's not at work, like I'm doing with her. I wonder what she's doing right now. I wonder if she's as happy with her husband as they say she is. And you're playing with the thoughts in your mind. Maybe you're right on top of your wife in the marriage bed, and in your mind, though, there's another face Maybe a babe from a movie or whatever. Maybe an old girlfriend. Last thing, do you chafe and get angry at me when I go through this list? Okay. If any of these things are true, you have at least a hint of sexual immorality in your life, and you need to understand it. The other thing you need to understand is those can, that can be gone. You don't have to have that in your life. Do you understand you're looking at a guy that every Sunday would masturbate Before church. Now today, I have not masturbated in over 20 years. It gets better than that. I have not even surfed channels or surfed through the web to look for something sensual in over 20 years. Okay. The fact of the matter is, is this does not have to stay a battle for the rest of your life in some "Ah!" kind of a way. No. God doesn't intend that. He's a way bigger than that. And he intends for you to win this thing. But like my son said, you can't just make the decision, I want this dead. You don't crucify somebody by saying, I want him crucified. No. You have to nail the nails in his arms and his feet, and you have to put it up on its end. And The same way with us. We have to have a strategy, and we have to put up defenses. Because the very way we're made sets us up to fall. Our eyes are built to draw sexual gratification from our environment. And modern science shows us that when we look at something sensual, I'm talking about porn, I'm talking about the girl in the string bikini, that the chemical reactions that happen in the brain are almost identical to the chemical reactions that happen to the brain when you shoot heroin. Does that sound addictive? Absolutely. So if you are watching those movies that Jason's talking about and you're looking at these cultured nude people, all right, it's still going to have that same effect. Your eyes don't know the difference between a breast that's cultured and one that isn't, okay? Your eyes are just going to go whoop. And your eyes, are, scientists describe the eyes as the delivery system or like the syringe of a needle. That When you look at that, boom, it goes straight to the pleasure centers. Those chemicals are released. Some of those chemicals are some of the strongest in the human body, like dopamine, which is 30 times stronger than cocaine's effects. So when it's releasing these powerful chemicals into our brain, we love to say, ah, it's just guys being guys. No, it's just drug addicts being drug addicts. And you need to understand that. Until you understand how the eyes work and if they release drugs into your system, you will never be free because you'll never set up enough defenses to keep that dried up. Now, I'm not saying that's the only thing you have to do to be pure, but that's the first thing you have to do to be pure. That's the thing that puts you in a position where you can take the next steps. Now, that's where I was, Okay masturbating every weekend and all the other things. Again, I'm thinking about old girlfriends um, not being true to my wife in my mind at all. And then my son gets laid into my arms and I'm going, oh my word. What am I going to do? You see him today, 27, 28 years old. Sorry, son. One of those two. But I want to take you to when he's two, all right? When he was two years old, toddling around like little boys do, and he had my little football I gave him. And in his other hand, who knows what, a stick. He loved sticks. He just loved to carry a stick wherever he went. And he would walk up to me, and he would look into my eyes, and those bright eyes, man, he loved me. You have sometimes a pacifier and drool coming down. You have the little grin and the drool coming down, the grin going up. And his eyes would say to me, Daddy, you are my hero. I know. I just want to grow up to be just like you. Do you know, there were many times, of course, I just gave him a hug and pulled him in. But there were many times, and he won't remember this, but there were many times I would burst into tears when he would look into my eyes. Because I knew I was betraying him. I knew I could not help him. I could not get free of sexual sin myself. And I knew what was going to happen to him. How did I know? I had been hearing sermons about generational sin. And I knew who my grandfathers were. Both of them were hooked on porn, both of them left their wives for other women. I found porn in my dad's desk at the age of 71. He never got free. That's when he died, and I was cleaning up his stuff. You know my story, four girlfriends sleeping with three. Guess what the Stoker generational curse was? It's not hard to see. And now I'm looking into the beginning of my strength eyes, and I see there's nothing I can do. And I used to cry and cry. I used to wake up in the morning. I've always been, Jason can tell you, I've always been the earliest riser in our home. No one wakes up before me. And I used to wake up, and it would still, you know, dawn would be there, and my wife would be sleeping next to me. And I would scream at the ceiling, silent screams. Ow! Oh, why did you give me a son? You are so mean, God. You know I can't do anything for my son, and you gave me one anyway, and he's going to be in the same jail I'm in. It's not a thing I'm going to be able to do. Oh, I would just feel this groans, pain. I just, oh, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do. Even as I would scream inside, God knew, though, what he was going to do. He had every intention of giving me a boy on purpose. I thought he was being mean because there would be nothing I could do. I'm a stoker after all. He knew he could do anything. And I want to tell you what happened. I walked into church one Sunday morning. John Palmer was preaching. Some of you know him. He's very famous in the Assemblies of God. He was my pastor Pastor Palmer's son was my son's best friend. He started to preach on a guy named Jonadab. Jonadab's mentioned twice in the Bible. First, we see Jonadab walking down the road at the time when Ahab and Jezebel were king and queen, and God had just told Jehu to go butcher them and everyone that has anything to do with them. So Jehu's running down the road. He had just butchered everybody in one town. He's driving down the road in his chariot, he sees Jonadab in the distance, which would be like us seeing Billy Graham in the distance. Ooh, great man of God. I can show off today. So he goes up and he says, hey, <coughs> Jonadab, come and see my zeal for the Lord. So he climbs up into the chariot and they go around the rest of the day and they watch Jehu's zeal for the Lord, which means butchering everybody he can find in the government of Ahab and Jezebel. The next time we see Jonadab is in the days of Jeremiah. God goes to Jeremiah and he says, okay, I want you to get all of the descendants of Jonadab the Rechabite, I want you to bring them into the temple and I want you to ask them to drink wine. So he does. He goes and brings them all into the temple. He sets bowls of wine in front of them and he says, hey, drink wine with me. What did they say? Oh, no, no, no. We don't drink wine. Our father, Jonadab, told us that we should never drink wine. And so from that day to this day, our husbands and wives and sons and daughters have never drunk wine. We don't own vineyards, and we've been nomads since. We just go from place to place. We will not drink wine with you. So God comes to Jeremiah and says, look at that. Jonadab's sons and daughters obey him. He tells them what to do, and they say, okay, We'll just do it. My people, they don't listen to me. I've sent my prophets. I've done anything I can, and they won't listen to me. Go and tell the people to be like Jonadab and his sons and daughters. Well, that is a great lesson for any of us on any day. But that wasn't the thing that hammered me that day. You know what hammered me that day? Pastor John Palmer said this. Do you know how much time had passed between the days of Jehu and, and Jezebel and Ahab to the day that these sons and daughters were in the temple? He said, 300 years. I remember that hit me like a comet that morning. I was 300 like, years? Are you trying to tell me that we can serve as that good of an example that 300 years later... Our descendants are still following our example. I was stunned. I mean, I was absolutely... I could. I was just... I mean, I know everybody else kept listening to the sermon. I completely tuned out at that point. I mean, my brain was so spinning because I started to think, could this work with sexual sin? Might it be that I could lead such an example that 300 years from now, my descendants would be saying, our father Fred said we aren't to look at porn or sensual movies, and from that day to this day, our husbands and wives and sons and daughters, we haven't looked at any of that. We haven't picked up a porn magazine, never seen it on our computers. I was dying. Oh, I could change my family tree. I could be the watershed Everybody before Fred, they left their wives. My two grandfathers, my dad. Everybody after Fred, the name Stoker means something entirely different. It doesn't mean mistresses in alcoholism and drunkenness. It means purity, chasing the promises of God, chasing the purposes of God. And it had my heart, man. I mean, my heart was captured, but I hesitated. I hesitated, and you might say to yourself, Well, what kind of a doof are you? That's pretty clear. Well, this is the thing I knew what a battle this was going to be. I don't know how I knew that. I really hadn't tried to fight it that hard before, but I fought it enough to know that it was going to be hard. And so, this is what I was thinking. I would fight this battle if I knew my sons would follow me. But I was looking at a two-year-old little pacifier mouth guy and thinking, he doesn't look much like a warrior, and how do I know when he gets older that he's going to follow after me? I didn't know. And so I waffled for about three months until one day I was in prayer... And this is what the Lord said to me. I won't read it. He just said something like this. He was tired of me, by the way. He said, are you going to be the one that drives the stake into the ground and puts an end to this in your family tree? Or are you going to leave it for someone better than you somewhere down the line? How would you like that question from the Lord? Someone better than me? I burst into tears. What do you mean? There's somebody going to love your purposes more than me? I couldn't stand that thought. And then I thought about him. I'm thinking to myself, if I don't drive the stake in the ground, guess what? God's going to ask him that awful question. And ain't no way I'm going to let God ask him that question. And I said to myself, I'm probably going to lose, but he's not fighting this battle alone. He's the next one out of the gene pool, and he's the next one that question is going to be laid in front of. Not on my watch. Wasn't going to happen. So I began to fight. I had a Merle Hay moment, and you've read the book. You kind of know about it happened right after that. And I, against all odds, I won. And you say to yourself, okay, so what happens? What happens with Jason? Does he follow you? I mean, that was my fear. Does he follow me? Do you want to know something? He did what's very normal for young men to do. He stepped right in to follow me. And you say to yourself, Fred, why do you call that normal? It's very uncommon. Yeah, it's uncommon. But that is the normal rite of passage of young men that are Christian. What's the rite of non-Christians? What's the rite of passage for non-Christians in this world? Going to bed with a girl, right? Then you can go in the locker room and say, yeah, I know what it's like. And everybody goes, right on, baby. Okay? You know what it is. What's the rite of passage for a Christian man? Well, we have to look no further than Jesus Christ, who is our standard of normal. Because he is the Word of God incarnate. What was his rite of passage into manhood? Well, we know the story. He went to Jerusalem for the Passover with his parents. When the Passover was over, they all headed home, everybody but Jesus. The parents thought he was with the crew. He got back, they got two, three days down the road. He wasn't with them. So they rushed back to Jerusalem. Oh, no, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You know, mom's probably going crazy in her head. By the time she sees him, she's nuts. Where have you been? Okay. And what does he say? He was right at the age of manhood in the Jewish culture. What did he say? He said, Did you not know I needed to be about my father's business? That is every Christian young man's rite of passage into manhood. If you take that step, you're a man. If you don't, we're still waiting. I don't care how old you are. Now... He did. He stepped right into it. You heard who he became, all right? And the thing you need to understand is if you will make a stand, if you will choose to lead, not just by example, but by obedience, okay? If you obey, it will be normal for those that come after you to obey. It's not something you have to worry about. Just from a practical standpoint. Now, I got to close here, okay? Shoot, Rob, every time I come, I get rolling and I'm sorry. Okay? I'm going to close this, okay? But this is what you need to understand. The very first practical step you need to make is to rise up, drive the stake in the ground, and say, This far, no farther, my name is now going to mean Jesus' name, and there's going to be nothing separating those two. Okay, it's going to be synonymous. That's number one. Now, number two, got to talk to your child. you got to talk to your young man. There is a book I have out there called Preparing Your Son for Every Man's Battle. I would love to have an hour to share that with you, okay? But the thing is, I spent time with my son going through books with him. Now, not as many with Jason because I didn't know about this when he was growing through that. My other three, I've gone through a lot more books with them. But what happens is you're going through books with your kids. It doesn't matter what the book is. It gives you the opportunity to share stories from your own life. Okay, this is how it was. I remember this time with Lisa, or I remember this with Joan, okay? And you are having the opportunity to share the key stories in your life that taught you everything you know, and it's the stories that capture their heart. And as you begin to share those stories with them, and share with them, and connect with them, two things happens. Number one is, they begin to recognize that you know where they live. Okay? Which is very, very important. That means they know they can come and talk to you, and you won't laugh at them. When they say, how come when Aaron wears that really tight sweater in science class, those things happen to my body? How do you you ask your dad that, if you don't know that your dad knows where you live? I'm sure wasn't going to ask my dad that. He was a national wrestling champion. He's a tough guy, okay? I didn't think he ever had any weaknesses. You need to make sure your sons understand that you know where they live. The second thing is, it helps you to know that they aren't boys anymore. My son, as I would go through books with him, he would share things with me that were wiser than what I could think of. And he'd be 11 and 12 and 13, and I realized at that time, I was going, man, he, he belongs in the world of men with me already. I can share with him a lot of who I am and who God is. I want you to realize that every step you take today is going to affect generations. I'm not just talking about Jonadab now. Jason talked about his daughters, Hallie and Linnea. In the year 2035, in that thereabouts, they are going to meet the men of their dreams. Because of the decisions I made in the early 1980s, first of all, to save my marriage, and secondly, to fight this battle for purity, they're going to be able to go into marriage believing in marriage, believing it can last, and believing that men can be pure. That's a 50-year time difference already. Fifty years later, the impact is going to be felt, and they already exist today on this planet. I can look into their eyes now. I believe that 300 years from now, things are going to be the same way. Okay? And my question to you is the same question that God asked me. Are you going to be the one that drives a stake into the ground and stops this mess in your family tree Or are you going to leave it for someone better than you somewhere down the line?